Welcome to another show of Anthony T's Horror Show. I'm Anthony T. This is the first edition of 2021. And you know what that means. It is time for the third annual Horror Whammies and Horror Show Awards. Since this is pretty much an award show, I will not be doing any news. I'll just do the intro to how this got started and what's going to happen on this episode. I'll also be doing what's Anthony T watching at the end of both awards segments. So you'll get my thoughts on a film that I recently picked up on the Black Friday sale. If you watch the first video of my two-pop Black Friday video, I will be reviewing a film that I picked up and showed off during part one of that video. So stay tuned for that after all the award segments. Before I get into the bulk of the podcast episode, I want to go and talk to you about how the concept of the Horror Whammies and Horror Show Awards came about. When I was young, I would always look forward to watching the Oscars every year, seeing who gets nominated, seeing who wins. And I also was very interested in the Razzies, which is honoring the worst in cinema. I was always curious to see which would get voted worst film, worst performance, and so on. So I had this idea after doing the first season of Anthony T's Horror Show to do an award shows type episode at the beginning of every year. And it's that time of the year. So we are going to have the Horror Whammies first. As I always like to start off dishonoring all the things that went wrong in 2020. Then after that, I will go to the Horror Show Awards, where I'll be showcasing the best of 2020, like best actor, best screenplay, and so on. That is how the first episode of every year looks like. This is the most difficult episode to produce. Every year, I always seem to have problems trying to get this episode done, so that's why you usually never see this to later in the month. It just happens. I've never had a year where I was done with this episode after the first week of January. It just not happens that way for some weird reason. So I do apologize for the long wait between episodes, but that's why. Because this is the most difficult episode to produce. And I also think this is one of my most fun episodes of the year. So I don't mind taking forever in a day trying to get this episode up and done. So I hope you enjoy the episode as it's a departure from all the other episodes I do every year. With that, I will be back with the third annual Horror Whammies. Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. 
a weekly podcast here. The discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. If you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers are smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. Right. <laughs> www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Welcome to the 2020 Horror Whammies. This is the part of the podcast where yours truly looks back at some of the worst things that happened in 2020 in the horror genre. Let's not waste any more time. We're going to get to the first category. And this is the only new category this year in the horror whammies. It's called Most Disappointing Film. Now, Most Disappointing Film is a film that I had high expectations going into the year. Wanting to really see this film. And then after I see it, it falls flat of what I expected. So, I will be doing this every year now. Because, well, I've had years where I've had anticipation for films that fell flat. This is the first year I'm doing this category. And this is probably the most basic reason why I am doing this category. Because this film, I've been waiting to see for like over a year, year and a half. And thought the trailer was very cool. Thought it was very creepy. Couldn't wait to see it. Then this film got delayed time and time again. All to the point where it finally got released this year. And it turned out to be very disappointing, quite frankly. This film would even be most disappointing film of 2020 until I saw Wonder Woman 1984 right before the year ended. And that film really was very disappointing. Compare that to the first film, it's very disappointing. Even more disappointing than this film that I'm about ready to talk about. The award for most disappointing horror film of 2020 is The New Mutants. I was so shocked that this film fell very flat from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. This was one of those films where I just could not wrap my head around because the trailer really looked good. But nothing in this film looked good. This was 90 plus minutes of boredom. The acting isn't very good including one actress which I'll get to later on here. And also, I thought the direction was flat. I really did not care about anything in the film. 
It was too dreary. Not enough action. It really, and quite frankly, it was not scary. And when you put out a trailer where it looked like it's scary, I expect it to be scary. It wasn't. In fact, this is a very disappointing film, both on a horror level and a comic book film level. The end of the film made me realize how happy I was that Disney brought 20th Century Fox when they did. Because 20th Century Fox was killing the X-Men franchise. And I'm just so happy Disney now has it. And it's incompetent hands at Marvel. So the New Mutants win the award for most disappointing film of 2020. The next category is, why did I watch this film when I thought it was going to be bad? Last year's winner was The Curse of La Llorona. This year's winner of the award, why did I watch this film when I thought it was going to be bad, is Glenn Danzig's Veronica. This is the first of many awards this film wins. Now, going into this film, I heard this film was really bad. But yours truly thought this was going to be a film where it would be a guilty pleasure. More like in the lines of Jason X. Boy, was I so wrong on that analysis. Because this film had no life. From start to finish, this film felt like it was one of those films where everyone was disinterested. I'll go more into that later on in this segment. Because I think I have a feeling why this film had so many disinterested people on it. But that's, I'll say for later, because while this film, I'm going to tell you right now, will be dominating these awards... That I can guarantee 100%. The next award is Worst Sequel, Adaptation, Spinoff, or Remake. Now, this is a category last year. It was titled Worst Sequel or Remake. But I decided to amend the category to include adaptations of books and other media and spinoffs of horror franchises. Last year's winner was Hellboy. Remember that film? That was very awful. It made me wish Guillermo del Toro was back in the director's chair for that film. This year, the winner for worst sequel, adaptation, spinoff, or remake is... The New Mutants. Surprised! Even though, yes, I know, Glenn Danzig's Veronica was based on a set of comic books. It really, to me, did not fit that category because there were like multiple adaptations all bad but when I think of adaptation I think of one title not like three four short films which are all horrible by the way the new mutants was something I thought was going to be very good at again I already explained that but another thing that really bugged me about it besides the acting and the expectation of that film being very good was the film's direction. The film's direction really felt flat. It felt really dull. I could not get the action in this film. 
because the action in this film felt like it was toned down when it could have been more horrifying. I don't know if it's because of the PG-13 rating or is it the director's intent, but I thought the direction, nonetheless, was very flat. And I didn't think he did a great job adapting the material because I want an X-Men movie. This looked like an X-Men movie. And I, I didn't even get that neither because it didn't feel like that at times. That's the fault of the screenwriting and everything in that film. And that's why it's a very bad adaptation. And one of the bottom three films of 2020. This is the second award for the New Mutants, everyone. For those keeping score. The next award is Worst Scene or Scenes. Last year's winner was Vera Farmiga's I'm Saving the World speech. In Godzilla, King of the Monsters, that was such an annoying speech, which really was so annoying, plus everything else in Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Which is sad, because Michael Doherty directed that film, and I love Michael Doherty's previous films to that. But what can I say? The award for worst scene or scenes goes to any scene in Glenn Danzig's Veronica. This was a film where every scene in the film had a very lifeless tone because everything felt lifeless. The characters, the acting. You can name a lot of things that went wrong in most of the scenes of this film. It was just so horrible to watch. It wasn't even funny to watch. This was a train wreck. And the lifelessness of the acting in this film and the lifelessness of all the action that goes on made this film feel like a train wreck. I couldn't take my eyes off this film at how horribly executed everything was. I'll go into more of this later. Because, like I told you, this film wins many awards, as this is the second award for Glenn Danzig's Veronica in the 2020 Horror Whammies. The next category is Worst Idea. Last year, I chose Blumhouse Productions remaking Black Christmas. Well, we all know how that turned out. And I'll give you a little spoiler it didn't turn out so well. It bombed big time. Like we all knew it was gonna bomb big time. In the middle of Christmas, it bombed big time. A Christmas-themed horror movie bombed at the box office. Unreal. And the horror whammy for worst idea goes to... Scream 5 being titled Scream. That's right... The next Scream film will be titled Scream. This is like a very dumb idea. I don't remember a sequel being titled the original title of the franchise. It's like titling Phantasm 5 Phantasm. I don't get why they would do that, Paramount Pictures. Seriously, Paramount Pictures. Why would you do that? 
That is such a dumb idea. It would work if you were rebooting the series, but this is the sequel to the fourth Scream film. I don't get how the fifth film of the Scream series is being titled Scream. It is ridiculous. It is stupid. It's just dumb. It insults us horror fans. We all know that all the original characters from the first four films are back. There is no reason why Scream 5 should be titled Scream. It's just a very, very stupid idea. You're not fooling us horror fans, Paramount Pictures. We know it's a sequel. I don't know why you're brandishing it like it's a reboot, because it's definitely not a reboot. I just don't get it, Paramount Pictures. Seriously. That is like one of the dumbest ideas in titling your sequel. It's ridiculous. Us horror fans know it's Scream 5. Just acknowledge it's Scream 5. I know you're trying to get new people who haven't heard of Scream and just brand it as the first Scream film, which is utterly and ridiculously dumb. And that's why Paramount Pictures titling Scream 5 Scream is the worst idea of 2020. The next award is Worst Editing. Last year, the award went to St. Agatha. That was a very dull, boring film. And very lifeless. Thankfully, Darren Lynn Brosman redeemed himself this year with Death of Me. The award for worst editing goes to Glenn Danzig's Veronica. Yes, this film was horribly edited too. It was like, this film should have just been a short film. Seriously. Because especially the third act in this film, that could have been trimmed about 5-10 minutes. Because it literally felt like it was repeating itself constantly. And when you repeat yourself constantly, you're not editing properly. It really infuriated me. The fact that this segment at the end of Veronica should have been completely taken out of the film. That's how bad that segment was. Because it was constantly repeating itself. It was horrible. It is the worst segment in horror anthology history. And I'm not going to try to pronounce that title because I don't have time. I'm not going to even put effort into anything that relates to Veronica. That's why Veronica wins worst editing. And it also makes... It the third award that this film has won. And speaking of winning awards, let's move on to the next category. Worst Indie Horror Film. Last year it was St. Agatha. This year, no surprise, Glenn Danzig's Veronica. I am not going to talk about how bad this film is. Because I'm saving that to the very end. Because this was probably... One of the worst independent horror films that I have ever seen. And it's not in a good way. It is in a very bad way. You can make it now number four for Glenn Danzig's Veronica for this year's Horror Whammies. Next category, Worst Screenplay. Last year, that award went to St. Agatha as well. This year, 
The award for worst screenplay goes to, you guessed it, Glenn Danzig's Veronica. That makes it number five for Glenn Danzig's Veronica if you're keeping track of how many awards or dishonorable mentions that this film has won in this year's horror whammies. This screenplay was just pathetically horrible. There's no effort to make concrete stories. It's like, Glenn Danzig just wrote a bunch of scenes. Gotta make sure it looks stock. It's gonna make sure it has nudity. It has to make sure it has weird things going on. And everything has to make no sense to the story of the segment. That's what this whole screenplay was. It was atrocious. It is one of the worst screenplays I have ever had to sit through. And the characters that he created in this film are so dumb. There are characters in this film that I didn't give a damn about. Because Glenn Danzig never cared about making interesting characters. And this is why this film is a major failure. One of the reasons why... But he never took any time to make any of the characters interesting or give them personality. This film is so lazy. And I'm really saving it for the last two awards. Because, yeah, we're getting near to that point where I go off a Glenn Danzig as a director. You can make that number five now for Glenn Danzig's Veronica in this year's horror whammies. Now we move on to worst actress. Last year was Milana Jovovich for Hellboy. This year was a very easy decision to pick who was the worst actress in a film this year. And that easily is Alice Braga for The New Mutants. This really was a bad performance. She didn't do Anything to even make her character kind of villainous, even though she was kind of a villain in this film. She was, like, boring to watch in that film. And there were a lot of boring performances in that film. But that performance really stuck out as one of the worst moments of that film. Because you need an effective villain, and her character really technically is a villain... But I just couldn't get into that performance. It was like every time she was on screen, the film would suffer because the character has a a lack of personality. She didn't try to bring any personality to the character. So I was very disappointed when that performance was bad. Because seriously, in a comic book film, you need your villain to be somewhat eccentric. Somewhat menacing. Somewhat fearful. And I got nothing of that there. Because I felt like her performance was just flat in pretty much one note. And that makes it number three for the New Mutants. On Indicious Horror Whammies. See? This one other film that seems to be dominating besides Glenn Danzig's Veronica. And that is the New Mutants. It is amazing that that film was a colossal failure. I could probably pick any performance in that film. Because this film looked like there wasn't 
no acting in this film. They all felt depressing to watch. It was like one of the most badly acted performances from a cast. If I was to give a award for worst cast, that would definitely get it. Because at least you could probably excuse Glenn Danzig's Veronica's cast. Because I think it had something to do with you-know-who. Which I'll get to shortly. Let's continue with the process as we move on to Worst Actor. Last year, I chose Charles Dance for Godzilla King of the Monsters. Yeah, that was a bad performance. As it felt like he was on Game of Thrones. This year, this was definitely a no-brainer. It is from an actor that should be nowhere near a film set let alone a borderline horror film. The winner of the Worst Actor of 2020 is... Kevin James. That's right, Kevin James. You wondered why I whispered Kevin James? I did that because that's what it felt like watching his performance in the film, as it felt like he was literally whispering his lines. I'm sorry, if an actor is going to pull a performance like that, I'm sorry, I can't go with it. It was so horrible. It literally took me out of Becky, the film that we are talking about. Because I probably never mentioned the film because, well, I'm kind of ranting and raving about Kevin James. This is a guy that had no business being in that film. They could have cast somebody else. Someone who could make it menacing. Instead, most of that film, he was putting me to sleep. With the way he was delivering his lines. It is so horrible that this guy was in this film. Seriously. It drove the film down. It would have been a four-star film if it wasn't for Kevin James' performance. Because that performance is one of the worst performances I have ever seen. I was never engaged with the character. It felt like his whole gang was whispering. He had no charisma as a villain, which really made it even more worse. I'm sorry. When I want to see a villain, I want to be frightened, not put to sleep. And that's what Kevin James did with his performance in Becky. Is the kind of performance that is going to get called out seriously. I don't want to see Kevin James near a horror film ever again. Or a film period. Why don't he just go back to being a mall cop? We were happy when he was a mall cop. Because I wouldn't give a damn about Kevin James. When he was a mall cop. Because that looked bad. So enough with Kevin James. I don't have time for this. Now I gotta go rant about another person. For maybe about 5-10 minutes. So I'm done with Kevin James. I hope I never hear his name. Or ever bring up him ever again on my podcast. Because I... I do not want to see Kevin James in a horror film ever again. And that includes horror comedies. Now we are nearly 
over with this year's version of the Horror Whammies. But first, I want to let everyone know that this following rant may contain language not suitable for young viewers. Because really, I need to get this out of my system. Because that's how bad this film is that I'm about ready to talk about. So, viewer discretion advice. It's just for the last two awards. As after that, I will be thinking positive. I have two more awards to give out. And it deals with the same film. And if you've been a long listener to this podcast, you know what film and what director I'm about ready to talk about. For the last time until his next film. And yes, he has another film that will be coming out very soon. I am talking about probably one of the most talked about topics in 2020 on the podcast. Glenn Danzig in that atrocious film, Veronica. And instead of doing two categories... I'm just going to do this in one long-winded rant, because this film is an abomination. But first, let me just remind you what I had last year for Worst Director in Worst Film. For Worst Director last year, I had Neil Marshall for Hellboy, and for Worst Film, I had Hellboy. This year, if you've listened to my podcast... Regularly. At the end of May, I've already had declared the worst film of 2020. It was at the end of May, episode 44, where yours truly reviewed an abomination of a film. I thought I've seen it all with bad films. As I've seen some really bad films, including the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, Dead Silence, that's another bad film. But those films don't hold a candle compared to this film. Because this film was a fucking disaster from the first minute. Yes, I'm talking about Glenn Danzig and Veronica. As Glenn Danzig, at the end of May, literally won Worst Director, Worst Film, and a bunch of other awards. Because that film was a piece of crap. Who in their right mind would put this film out? This is the most narcissistic film that I have ever seen in my life. There's nothing good in this film. Except maybe the cinematography. That's it. Everything else sucked. And it is an abomination that Cleopatra Records put out this film. Because this film is so unreleasable. Let's get to the directing. Glenn Danzig doesn't do anything in his directing. It's like he literally didn't direct anything. He just said, do this, do this, do anything for his enjoyment. Because 
I can't fault the actors here. Because, well, they had a director that was so narcissistic. It was a terrible film. Nothing made sense. The action is so dull. It's worse than any bad movie combined. And this isn't a guilty pleasure film. Because I had no fun in watching this film. I felt literally bored for every minute of this film. And that's because Glenn Danzig doesn't try to inject any life into the film through his directing. It's like he just wanted a gothic imagery, naked women, and loads of violence. That is what Veronica is. And that's why it's also the worst film of the year, too. Because that film literally does not do anything right. It is horrible. Seriously. He was making this movie for one person and one person only. Glenn Danzig. He didn't care about the viewer. He didn't care about trying to put any effort into any of the scenes because everything felt so dull. And his screenplay was even worse because he has the worst segment in a horror film ever because the last segment of that film kept repeating itself to no end until that was over. So seriously, this is by far probably the worst film I've ever seen. That's up there with Battlefield Earth as the worst film I've ever seen. Seriously. Because both of those films are crap. One film rushed it in Battlefield Earth, while Veronica just gets you angry at the crimes against cinema. This is not how you make a film. Seriously. Everything being so overly dull, nothing making any sense, and don't come with me with this, oh, you're biased because a rock star directed a horror film, and you don't like rock stars directing horror films. Let me tell you about Rob Zombie. I literally hated his first film, House of a Thousand Corpses. It felt like a bad 90s music video. But at least he tried to tell a story. And nowadays, I like m most of his films. Glenn Zanzig, with his direction and his screenplay, doesn't even try to tell a story, quite frankly. It was just throwing things against the wall, seeing what would stick. That's not how you create a film, by throwing things against the wall. Nothing made sense. Nothing was coherent, and this film seemed more obsessed with gore and nudity and not obsessed with trying to make a somewhat coherent story. Because all the stories were very weird in a bad way. I admit, I like David Lynch films. His films can be weird, but at least you feel like you're on a journey, and he always makes sure to have his performances stand out. Glenn Danzig wanted one thing to stand out, and it was Glenn Danzig. As Veronica is fucking garbage from start to finish. And it also has the distinction of having the worst segment in a horror anthology film ever. I would love to spend more time, but I'm sick of this fucking film.
Seriously. Let me tell you how many awards this atrocious film has won at this year's Horror Whammies. As this is a record, quite frankly, because I've never had a film dominate my year-end review show like this. As this film has racked up seven awards in the 2020 Horror Whammies. It is a record that will probably never be broken, quite frankly. Because usually you can pick out three, four, five films in this year-end review. But to pick seven instances for one film? You're in, like, worst film of all time territory. If you have a film that literally dominated an awards dedicated to the worst of cinema. And that's what Glenn Danzig's Veronica did here in the 2020 Horror Whammies. Because I don't think I'll have an, another film that will rack up seven awards. But then again, Glenn Danzig is doing another film, and it's going to make me wonder if he's going to screw up his latest film, because it's a vampire film, and it's my favorite subgenre of horror films, vampire films. And it's very hard to fuck up a vampire film in my eyes. But we'll see if Glenn Danzig does that with his next film, because that's what his next film's going to be, dealing with the vampire genre. I'm done with Glenn Danzig's Veronica. I hope I never get to mention this film again. But I'm probably going to anyway. I've got to stop talking about this film. Because literally, I could go another 10 minutes talking about the abomination of Veronica. And this wraps up the 2020 Horror Whammies. Every day, there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer, and they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scaresack Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scares That Care, you can go to www.scaresthatcare.org. Every donation helps Scares That Care fight real monsters. Hey guys, this is Steven Christina. I'm the founder, owner, creator, and host of Super Retro Throwback Reviews. Are you looking for the best movie reviews, music reviews, video game reviews, and Comic-Con coverage all around? Well then look no further. Definitely check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on YouTube and our new audio podcast, the new and improved Super Retro Throwback Reviews audio files version 2.0 on the following media distributors. Podbean, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. Class is over, John. Time for something new and improved. Welcome back. 
This is the third annual Horror Show Awards, honoring the best of 2020 in terms of the various aspects of filmmaking. It's completely different than the Horror Whammies, as that portion is done for 2020, thankfully. Now it's time to honor the best of 2020. Not in terms of best film, that's next episode. But the best cinematography, best acting awards, best director, that stuff. This year I decided to add two new categories to the Horror Show Awards. While taking out favorite conventions since there were no conventions this year that I went to. With that, let's get started with the first new award. Film that surprised me most in a good way. Now, this is a category where yours truly highlights a film where he did not think it would be so good that pretty much kind of was on the fence of seeing, but decided to see it anyway. Or if there's such buzz about a film, which I could not understand at the time before seeing it the first time. So I decided to create that category because, well, I also have a category in the horror whammies called Why Did I Watch This Film? Even though I thought it was going to be bad. So I figured I'd do the opposite and have a category called Film That Surprised Me Most in a Good Way. And the first winner of this award goes to Host. Now, when I saw Host, I really did not think that this was going to be a really good film, quite frankly. Because I've seen Unfriended, thought it was good, but I really didn't think the whole Zoom concept would work as a film. As this was one of the first films to actually use a Zoom-like structure for the basis of the story on how the story was going to take place. And I was blown away that this film was very good, quite frankly. Because especially the last third of the film really blew me away in how they were able to pull off the horrific action using kind of a Zoom-like format to film the action through Zoom. Because this film was shot on Zoom, even though it took many pots in order to make everything flow correctly. But still, that is a very good accomplishment. I've seen this done before with technology, as Unfriended was filmed via Skype, I believe. And that worked out very well. But I did not think it would have been taken to the next level. But I think this film takes it to the next level in what you can do. As this is a supernatural horror film, which makes it really more difficult to even pull off what they pulled off in the third act of the film. Because with Unfriended, I think that was morally a slasher film, which you basically need another person. In Host, it looks like they had to manipulate some things. It was done in a way that it helped make the supernatural elements of this film work. And that's what really brought this film to the point where I thought it was one of the best films 
of 2020 period. We move on to the next new category in the Horror Show Awards, Best Documentary. Now, this is a category that will happen when yours truly sees three or more documentaries in one year. So at least there's something to choose from. I've noticed there's been a lot of documentaries coming out in the last couple of years, so I figured I'd start that category, provided there's at least three films. As this year I saw four documentaries, so this category will happen. And the Horror Show Award for Best Documentary goes to Scream Queen My Nightmare on Elm Street. This was a great documentary. I like how this film does a great job in examining Mark Patton. As this documentary literally covers all angles, his pre-career, his acting career, and why he disappeared after the 80s. It also really goes into his search for the writer of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. I'm very surprised that this film did not get a decent distribution deal. But thankfully Shudder came to the rescue and put this film out through their service. It's a great documentary that people should check out. Screen Queen My Nightmare on Elm Street is currently on Shudder. And it is why I chose it for Best Documentary. The next award is Best Costume Design. Last year, I gave the award to Ready or Not. This year, the Horror Show Award for Best Costume Design goes to the Mortuary Collection. I really liked the way that everything had a nice look to it. Whether it's the Montgomery Dock character, as it had like a really retro feel, like 1920s type feel to it. To the way some of the costumes were used in some of the segments in the film as well. That really made it stand out and made the look of the film very good. Plus, I like the costume choice from Montgomery Dock, where I just mentioned a minute ago. Because I really thought it made the character look very creepy. If it wasn't creepy enough. So that's why I chose the Mortuary Collection for Best Costume Design. We move on to Best Special Effects. Last year, I chose It Chapter 2 for Best Special Effects. This year, I choose a film that is a film, not a three-part series or TV series like Shudder described this film. Because, quite frankly, that is a film. I have never seen a TV series be three episodes. I don't know why they divided this into like three pots. But quite frankly it did not need to be divided into three pots. As this film could have just flown together as one. That's why I'm considering this a film and not a TV series. Even though Shudder declares it a TV series. Which to me it looked like a film not a TV series. I'm sorry Shudder. But it's a film. I'm talking about the film that is the winner of the best special effects for 2020, Blood Machines. Now, this film has great effects. Whether it's visual or special effects, those work out so well. It really enhances the story in this futuristic world where this film is supposed to take place. The effects team in this film did a great job making sure 
that the effects really stand out. It really added to this film in a way that it really kept my interest throughout. As I was amazed at what I was looking at on screen. And they really do a good job in making sure that it felt special. And not just like cheesy effects. And that's it. As it really provides some very great scenery. And really made it a central part of the film. As this is a futuristic dystopian world that they are trying to produce. And they did that very well. So that's why I chose Blood Machines for Best Special Effects. Next up, Best Cinematography. Last year I chose Candy Corn. And the Horror Show Award for Best Cinematography goes to Color Out of Space. One of the main things I really loved about the cinematography is that it stands out in this film. Whether when the special effects were added in... To getting some of the nice landscape where Color Out of Space was filmed. The cinematography was just dead on. It really added to the film. As this is already a weird enough film. But to also have very good cinematography. That really captures the essence of the tone of the film. In which Color Out of Space does. Is simply amazing. Because some of the scenes were just great to look at. Whether the effects in which took hold of the scene. Or whether the look of the house. The look of the town. Everything had a nice and distinct gothic look that you want in an H.P. Lovecraft story. And it really adds to the film. This was one of those films where you pretty much needed the cinematography to look almost perfect. And it really does look almost perfect. Because I liked the way the scenes looked and the way everything was shot. It is definitely one of the best shot films I've seen in the last five years. So that is why Color Out of Space wins Best Cinematography. Next up, Best Editing. Last year I chose Us. The Horror Show Award for Best Editing goes to Color Out of Space. Now, Color Out of Space is a long movie clocking in at over an hour 50 minutes. But never did I ever get the sense that I was bored to the point where, oh, this scene needed to be cut or that scene needed to be trimmed. Everything in the Color Out of Space works so well. It allows for the scenes to develop. You don't have this... Fast editing, which I really liked because it let the dreariness come on screen. And it really added something to this film. It was one of those films where it could probably go on another 10, 20 minutes. And I probably would have not complained. That's how good the editing is in this film. Because... For a film like Color Out of Space, you need the scenes to be drawn out. 
in that trim to the point where it's just misses a key detail or interrupts the flow of the film. None of that was present in this film as I really liked the editing as there was nothing I could say that should be edited out or a scene that should have been trimmed. Just some great editing in this film. And that is why I chose Color Out of Space for Best Editing. Let's move on to Best Score. Last year I chose Us for the Best Score. This year I chose Blood Machines. Now, the score to Blood Machines can literally serve as another character in that film. Because literally, most of the time... In the film, you it was dominated by the film's score, and it really added a lot to this film. It really made some of the scenes feel so electric, in which a score is supposed to do. Either make it more haunting or more electric. This is more electric, as this has more of a synth style going for the film. The composer, Cotter Brute does a very good job making sure the songs have a really upbeat tone to keep the viewer interested, including myself, because literally this is one of the things that really stood out for me in this film. And he also really does a good job making sure that the songs help elevate the film's tone, which is a major plus, considering most of the scenes, including the finale, Includes very little dialogue. So that score was just so electric. It stood out. I listened to it on occasion too. And it's something that really helped made the film stand out. From all the other films released in 2020. Definitely check out the score if you have a chance. If you're on Spotify, YouTube Music. Or any other subscription music service. Definitely give the score a listen. It's just great synth wave music. That people should really check out. As this is also very listenable too. Even if you're not watching this film. So definitely. I highly recommend you check out the score for Blood Machines. As it is very good. And it's also the winner of best score. This marks the second Award for Blood Machines in the 2020 Horror Show Awards. Best Makeup. Last year I chose Us. The Horror Show Award for Best Makeup goes to the Mortuary Collection. I really think the Mortuary Collection did a very good job with all the makeup processes and everything. Whether it's the Montgomery Dot character or the Sam character or some of the characters in the various segments. Everything is done in a very good tone that really makes sense with everything. And I also like the way the makeup was applied to one of the main characters. Which I'm not spoiling it for you because I want you to see this film. It had a very creepy look at the end. Whether it's the costume or, or the way the makeup was put on. It was just creepy to look. As it had that creepiness that you want in a character like that. And also I like the way they also did the makeup from Montgomery Doc as well. As Montgomery Doc really had a very creepy look throughout the whole film. Which added to this film 
So that's why I chose the Mortuary Collection for Best Makeup. Let's move on to Best Screenplay. Last year, I chose Ready or Not for Best Screenplay. This year, the Horror Show Award for Best Screenplay goes to The Wolf of Snow Hollow. One of the things I really loved about this screenplay was the fact that this film had a very dark, very quirky tone to it throughout. Writer, director, star Jim Cummings does a very great job focusing on his main character, whether it's the various problems in his life or the case in which these gruesome murders are happening during the course of the film. Everything is done in a way that it really helps make this film very good. I also love the fact that this film had a Twin Peaks slash Fargo type feel to it. It made for some very interesting scenes. It also helps that he does a very good job with the way that he handles the action in this film. As it provided some very interesting scenes. It has some great witty dialogue. It was everything that I wanted in a film like this. If you're going to do an off-kiltered horror film, then this is the type of film that needs its tone. As the tone really helps set the tone for this film. And it's definitely a great film. I had a great time watching this film. And it's by far, I think, the best screenplay that I've seen all year. And that's why I chose The Wolf of Snow Hollow for Best Screenplay. We are now on to the award for Best Supporting Actress. Last year, I chose Dee Wallace from Three from Hell. And the Horror Show Award for Best Supporting Actress goes to Ricky Lindholm for The Wolf of Snow Hollow. One of the things I really enjoyed about her performance in this film was I like how she portrayed her character as a very awkward type of character. It was awkward to the point where it's not annoying and it's not like way over the top. She also does a very good job working with actor Jim Cummings as some of the other scenes in the film are just very good. She also makes her character stand out from all the other characters in the film by balancing this awkwardness that she portrays with also a serious side with her character. It really made for some very good scenes. She was definitely one of the highlights of that film, as The Wolf of Snow Hollow has some very good performances in this film, including Jim Cummings himself. But I really think she did a much better job slightly, as both of them were great in that film. But I think every time she was on screen, she had a presence that is needed to keep the movie going, to keep you engaged with the material, even though she wasn't the main character in the film. But I think she did a very good job with her role in that film, and definitely has some very good scenes that stand out. So that's why I chose Ricky Lindholm for Best Supporting Actress for The Wolf of Snow Hollow. We move on now to Best Supporting Actor. Last year, I had Bill Hader for It Chapter 2 as Best Supporting Actor. This year, in probably a first, a film has won an award in both the Horror Whammies and the Horror Show Awards. And it's both for acting! I'm serious! It is 
both for acting awards. As previously last segment, I gave Kevin James Worst Actor of 2020 for a film called Becky. The Horror Show Award for Best Supporting Actor goes to Joe McHale for Becky. Yes, I've already mentioned that film once last segment, but seriously, Joe McHale was one of the best parts of that film. Because the beginning of Becky was great. As I really thought that was probably the best part of that film. When we got to know the relationship between Becky and her father. Joe McHale plays the father very well in this film. As his performance really made me interested in that part of the film. Because literally he does a good job really making sure that the character is struggling but also likable. I just wish the whole film was that way where everything was done in a likable or intense way but Mikhail's performance really helped this film a lot and quite frankly probably saved that from under three star territory as I gave the film three and a half stars quite frankly if he was not in that film that film probably would have lost another star seriously because I probably would have been so more angry at the fact that Kevin James just whispered his performance throughout that film and if I was not interested in the dynamic between McHale's character and the main character in that film I probably would have shut that film off because I would have never cared about the main character if it wasn't for that great acting in the first third of the film because this was one of those films where the acting really helped keep me in this film, even though I kind of wanted to shut this film off when Kevin James is on screen at all times. But it's that strong opening that really got me into this film until I was literally taken out by Kevin James. That's why it's a good film and not a great film, because... That performance is one of the reasons why I think this film ultimately got positive rating from me. And Joe McHale ultimately wins Best Supporting Actor for his role in Becky. Now we are at the big awards. Best Actress. Last year I picked Samara Weaving for Ready or Not for Best Actress. The Horror Show Award for Best Actress goes to Elizabeth Moss. For The Invisible Man. One of the things that really I think made The Invisible Man a very good film was Elizabeth Moss's performance in the film. I like how she really does a great job with the way she portrays her character in the film. I like the fact that she really brought a lot of emotion to her character. Which really made me invested in the character. I also like how the way she handled all the action. All the dramatic scenes in that film. It really helped make The Invisible Man just not feel like a remake of The Invisible Man. Because going into The Invisible Man is like, oh, it's a remake. At least it had Leigh Winnell directing, whose last film, Upgrade, was just great. But after seeing this film, the one thing I came away with liking the most about this film was... Moss's performance in that film as that was a performance that really could bring her to the next level in her career as an actress because literally the dramatic scenes are just great in this film. She portrays her character very well as that was my major takeaway from this film. 
I really think she will be a star soon. And I really think that was the best performance by an actor or actress all year. And that's why I chose Elizabeth Moss for best actress for The Invisible Man. We're moving along. We're now up to best actor. Last year for best actor, I chose Pancho Moller for Candy Corn. And the Horror Show Award for Best Actor goes to Clancy Brown, The Mortuary Collection. Now, this performance takes place in a wraparound segment. But the character of Montgomery Doc is pretty much the main character in this film. So that's why I chose Best Actor for Clancy Brown. Because when I think of Best Actor... It has to be the main character in the film. And Montgomery Doc is the main character in the film. Even though he's just in the wraparound segment in the Mortuary Collection. But Clancy Brown was just great in this film. There were times in this film where I kept wishing to myself. If they ever reboot Phantasm. Clancy Brown could pull off the tall man. And I can't say that about any other actor, literally. Because when I think of the tall man, I'm always going to think Angus Scrim. But I can envision Clancy Brown as the tall man. Because what he did in the Mortuary Collection is to really make his character very dark, very creepy-like in the way he delivers his dialogue. Even when he's not even delivering dialogue, he commands the presence of the room by him just being in the scene. And that's tough to pull off, as you need to show charisma and everything. But if you can do that and also pull off a haunting presence, you're doing something right. That's what Clancy Brown did with his Montgomery Doc character in the Mortuary Collection. And that's why I choose Clancy Brown for Best Actor for his role in that film. Best Director. Last year I chose Gosper No for Climax. And the Horror Show Award for Best Director goes to Richard Stanley, Color Out of Space. Now... Before I saw Color Out of Space, I knew who Richard Stanley was. He directed the great sci-fi film Hardware back in 1990. Hasn't done many films. as he, The last time he did a feature-length film was in 1992, the film called Dust Devil. After that, he was supposed to direct the Island of Dr. Monroe in 1996, but he and producers had major disagreements, which led him pretty much blacklisted, as we haven't seen another full-length feature film from him since, as he's been doing some short films and documentaries. But 2020 marked the first time in a long while that he directed a featured film, and this film, his direction is great. One of the things that I really loved about his direction was the able to keep the scenes very 
engaging. Through the way he directs his actors to really making sure that the scenes had a very surreal feel to them. It really made this film very entertaining. He also does a very good job directing Nicolas Cage. As it didn't feel like the typical Nicolas Cage film. Even though you had the typical Nicolas Cage performance at times. But I liked how Stanley is able to constrain that. And use that when needed to help with the flow of the action and the flow of the film. He also does a very good job making sure the scenes have a very dark tone to them. As this film had this dark and airy tone from the beginning of the film right up until its end. It is a great directing job. I put it up there with Hardware as two great films that he's directed and that is why I chose Richard Stanley for best director for Color Out of Space. Now we have two more awards to go but the same film wins both awards and I don't want to give you a hint to who won best film of the year. As for the first time in the three-year history of the Horror Show Awards, one film has won Best Independent Film and has also won Best Film. I'll tell you what I had last year for Best Indie Horror Film and Best Horror Film. For Best Indie Horror Film, I had Climax. And for Best Horror Film, I had Ready or Not. One film is going to win both of those Awards. I won't tell you the film. You'll have to listen to the next episode of Antity's Horror Show as I'll be chatting with Philip Perone from Doc Discussions Podcast about our favorite top 10 films of 2020. And I will let you know who won both Best Indie Horror Film and Best Horror Film. Sorry, I can't give it away. I'm not giving it away. And with that, that includes this year's Horror Show Awards. They're coming to get you, Barbara. This is Carrie. This is Billy. This is Mr. Poe. And we are from a podcast from beneath. You can catch us every Wednesday wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget, you can find Anthony T's Horror Show on social media over on Facebook, Instagram, and Slasher app at Anthony T's Horror Show, on Twitter at Anthony T's Horror. If you liked this episode, you can subscribe to Anthony T's Horror Show over on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. You can also catch Anthony T's Horror Show over on DocDiscussions.com where you can find my podcast and other podcasts on the Doc Discussions Network. What's Anthony T watching? Well, yours truly recently did a video on the official YouTube channel highlighting some of my Black Friday purchases, as I'm still going to do part two. Do not worry. That will be coming soon to the YouTube channel. Just type in Anthony T's Horror Show in the search box, and you'll get the channel. Please subscribe. 
obviously, if you want the videos. But one of the films I picked up during Black Friday was a film called Dolly Dearest. Now, the film was released by Vinegar Syndrome, as I obviously picked up during the Black Friday sale that they had. The film was released by Trimark Pictures back in 1991, and it eventually got released on DVD by Lionsgate. And now it's in the hands of Vinegar Syndrome, which is a great label, don't get me wrong. I still want that Book of Shadow Blair Witch 2 Blu-ray. Seriously. And I think I might have to bring this up on a future episode of the podcast. Because it is a crime. That film is not on Blu-ray. But back to Dolly Dearest again. As we're getting way off track. The film interests me because, oh, it's another Killer Doll film. And I pretty much have seen every Killer Doll film. Whether it's Child's Play... Puppet Master, Demonic Toys. There's been plenty of killer doll films that I've seen. But I've never seen this film. The only thing that reminded me of this film was looking at the poster of this film when I was a little child back when it was released on VHS in 92, I would believe, since it got released in 91. But that poster as a child creeped me out. Today it doesn't, obviously. I figured I'd check this film out, considering that was also part of the Vinegar Syndrome Black Friday sale, so that was the main motivator of getting this film. My thoughts on this film. This film is no Puppet Master. This film is no Demonic Toys. And especially all this film is no child's play because this film probably falls under the guilty pleasure section of horror films because there are so many things wrong with this film. But I'll talk about the positive that this film had. I thought the movement of the dolls were great. It had that really frightening feel to it. And I also liked how a few of the scenes had some suspense built up, which was good. But this film, for me, really falls flat. Especially in the opening half of the film, and definitely the last 15 minutes of the film. Because this film really could have used some better acting. I thought Denise Crosby, who you might know from Pet Cemetery in Star Trek The Next Generation, was okay in this film. I also thought Sam Bottoms from Apocalypse Now was okay in this film. What I was not okay with was Rip Torn's performance in this film. This felt way overacted. It felt like he should have never been cast in this role, considering this film takes place in Mexico, and he's supposed to be a Spanish archaeologist. I just could not get with Rip Torn's performance. It's way overacted, felt a little clumsy at times. That's why it's 
probably a guilty pleasure film. Because just the acting was so just there. But also what was not good was the screenplay as well. I admit, it built some suspense in a couple of scenes in the film. But for half of this film, I felt like I was either bored or just, what the hell are they doing? And I got that, what the hell that they are doing in the last ten minutes of this film. It wasn't climactic. It felt like it was rushing towards the end of the film. When you don't have suspenseful scenes where you feel like the characters are in danger, then you have a problem. And this film has a major problem with its ending because that ending felt rushed, it felt lazy, it felt anticlimactic. It was so dull. It was like the finale of this film was so anticlimactic because it literally just rushed to the end without no sense that these characters were in danger. And really, it's because of writer-director Maria Lisa's screenplay. I thought her screenplay was flat on most parts because I don't like films that abruptly end for no reason at all. When a film abruptly ends and there's like no killer punch, then it just feels like that was rushed. And that whole last 10 minutes felt like it was a rush job. Seriously. And it ends abruptly, which really made this film kind of sour on me. But it's still a guilty pleasure film nonetheless. Because I thought the direction was okay. I didn't think Maria Lee directed Rip Torn very well. Because Rip Torn was all over the place in his performance in this film. I also thought she at times didn't make sure that the film moved at a good pace. First 20 minutes I felt like I was bored. Whether it was her directing or the screenplay. I was just bored. Dolly Dearest was a film where I just could not get myself into. And every time I got myself into this film, somehow it takes a turn for the worse. At least it's a guilty pleasure film, especially for Rip Torn's performance in the film. Over on Anthony T's Horror Show on YouTube, I recently did part one of my Black Friday video in which I showed off some of the stuff I picked up on Black Friday. It includes stuff from Vinegar Syndrome, Grindhouse Video Tampa, and more. I originally was going to do part two of the Black Friday video after this episode, but I'm going to hold off until I... After I do next episode to film part two of the Black Friday sale. In which I picked up a lot of films. And I still have films from MVD Distribution, Epic Pictures, Slash Dread, and Severin Films Pickups to show off. 
I hope to have time to film this episode once episode 58 is done. I will get into production on that video. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Anthony T's Horror Show. Don't forget, if you like the show, please subscribe to Anthony T's Horror Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and Stitcher. With that, have a good day. Stay safe and support indie horror.